Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. This podcast is brought to you by Northbound Gear. Northbound Gear is designed for maneuverability and durability and is made to last through even the toughest of elements. My go-to for their pants is the Water Resistance Adventure Pants and their lined waterproof jeans. I've worn them while out ice fishing, crawling through the woods, bear hunting, and on the west coast out on the boat. And I even wear them around when I'm having a lazy day at the house. They are that comfortable. They also offer jackets, summer pants, backpacks, and many more. Men's and women's sizes are available, and by partnering with One Tree Planted, you're planting a tree with every purchase. Check them out for yourself at northboundgear.co, and when you use my promo code SHELDON15 at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your order. That's northboundgear.co and promo code SHELDON15. Well, you guys, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's uh, it's already August. Uh, you know, for us here up in the north, that typically means it's the start of fall. Uh, we could be getting frost any day now, and... Uh, Man, I gotta start making my plans here for September. I have three weeks off uh, coming up here, well, fairly soon, and uh, yeah, I gotta get my stuff together and make a plan on <laughs> where I'm gonna go and what I'm gonna hunt. But uh, yeah, August, you know, it's always been kind of like uh, a trip down memory lane for me. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, the entire Marion family used to all gather up at mile 135 for kind of like our uh, annual moose hunting trip. Uh, it was kind of like a moose hunting trip and family reunion, kind of all get all put together as one little package. We never called it a family reunion, but uh, man, pretty well everyone was there. You know, all of the uncles and cousins and stuff from, from Dawson would uh, come up. Uh, the family around Fort St. John would all go up there. And, uh, yeah, we'd all park at one of the big gravel pits there. And uh, we'd all have our campers and holiday trailers. And kids would set up tents and stuff. And, man, it was it was always a fun time going up there. Uh, you know, I don't think you could talk to any of the Marians uh, without them having, you know, some memory of mile 135 and the old spring uh and just moose hunting in general you know we're a a very very hunter uh focused family and you know everybody would get together and we'd all hunt together uh and you know we all have stories out there you know for me one of my favorite stories is uncle joe uh you know, he was always known for kind of driving a little quick down the back roads. So every once in a while, we'd like to pick on him. Uh, the one time I was hunting with him, and he was just cooking her down the road. And we went past the pipeline, and I just yelled out, Moose! <laughs> as soon as I said that, he dynamited the brakes, and he was trying to find reverse in his truck and he was just grinding gears and he finally got slowed up enough where it kind of slammed into reverse and then he pinned her and 
he started <laughs> screaming or going backwards and we get back to the pipeline back onto the brakes and he's grinding to a halt now he's trying to find park and <laughs> again he's just grinding the gears <laughs> his old ford transmission there and finally finds park and the big cloud of dust comes up and the truck's rocking back and forth and he's trying to get out of the truck <laughs> the funny thing was there wasn't no moose there we just like to kind of tease him once in a while and he'd get out and he'd be looking around and oh no sorry joe moose must have ran off <laughs> oh man uh, it was it was always so much fun heading out there and ever since i was just a tiny little kid we'd go out there uh you know i remember me running around with the axe you know they'd go out they'd cut firewood they'd bring it back and i'd just split firewood for hours at a time uh one time too i can't remember what uncle it was but they took a an empty oil jug and they just cut like a rectangle out of the side of it and we haywired it or zap strapped it or whatever onto my bike so when the the little plastic was in the spoke of my wheel so i'd be pedaling that thing around camp thinking i was a dirt bike or something like that and you know it's it's pretty neat when uh when it's not even an individual memory it's like family memories uh of just one certain area like that i you know it even even today if you go back there you know you can still go to the gravel pit and uh and every time you go there you know you just kind of smile and laugh and look back at past stories and stuff and then uh you know with it being august now too uh it's pretty well going to be the start berry picking season uh that's one thing that we used to do out there at 135 as well is uh in the afternoons we go out and we pick uh, huckleberries and blueberries. And with huckleberries and blueberries, uh, you know, typically uh, when we would pick them, it is kind of between like August fifteenth and August twentieth kind of time. Uh, you know, frost usually hits them once or twice by then, and uh, they're nice and ripe. Once the frost hits them, you uh, they tend to be a bit sweeter. Uh, I don't know what it does to the sugars in them, but uh, it seems to help them out uh, a little bit. Uh, I want to say we were picking low bush cranberries around the same time too. Uh, the only thing with low bush cranberries is I haven't picked them things in years, so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't quite remember when we picked them. I know high bush cranberries. That's in. Uh, that's in September after they've hit been hit with frost quite a few times, but uh, yeah, with the with the berries too, with huckleberries or blueberries, you know, there's so much stuff that you can make with them. Uh, one of the things that we used to always make is we go out and we'd pick like a gallon of berries, and we'd bring them back, and the next morning we'd have like huckleberry pancakes. You know, you just, while you're making your Aunt Jemima pancake mix, just grab a handful or two of berries, throw them into your mix there, and throw that onto the hot pan, and, man, they were just phenomenal. Uh, 
another uh, another good one to do is you take the, your berries, throw them into a bowl, and you put a bunch of sugar on them, and you just kind of stir it up a little bit, throw that into your fridge, let it sweat, and then the, the sugar kind of soaks it all up. And you take that out, and you spoon it onto like angel food cake, and uh, put a little whipped cream or ice cream on there, and man, that's phenomenal. Another thing too, ice cream. Again, just a handful of berries, throw it into your vanilla ice cream, mix it all up, and throw it down the hatch, and boy, is it ever good. Uh, you know, you can buy, you know, you can buy blueberries from the store all day long, and they taste all right. But nothing tastes better than just a hand-picked wild blueberry or huckleberry that you went out and you gathered. And, uh, man, it is it is so much better. Uh, you know, now, too, with it being in August, uh, the rivers should be clean by now. Uh, if they're not, it's mainly just because there's been, like, a fresh rainfall. Uh, some years the snowpack out in the mountains, uh, it's a lot deeper and, and, uh, thicker and takes longer to melt than other years. This year is one of those years. There was a ton of snow in the mountains. So June and July, it was pretty hit and miss for most rivers around here. Uh, but now that we've made it through a heat wave, uh, that should have nuked the majority of the rest of the snow off the mountaintops and pretty well just in time for new snow to start hitting up there now uh but yeah the rivers they should be nice and clean now uh some of the rivers around fort st john area uh you know i don't think you could work or live up here without somebody mentioning you know like the peace the halfway the graham or the chawadi uh we also have like the Murray and the Pine. Uh, those are basically your main rivers that everybody fishes around here. And uh, depending on the spots of the rivers that you go to, uh, it seems like the ones that are right off the side of the road, they've been all kind of fished out kind of thing. But uh, typically it seems like now you have to kind of hike a little ways to find a good fishing hole. Uh, but I mean, it, it's all worth it once as you see just like the amount of fish that you can catch. Uh, you know, for us up here, we have bull trout, rainbow, grayling, whitefish. Uh, there might be some in canoe kind of a thing. Uh, that's kind of a newish one. Uh, and then also kokanee. Uh, with kokanee though, they're mainly in the Peace River. Uh, you can also find lake trout in the Peace River. And in certain spots, there is, uh, jackfish or northern pike and walleye in, in the Peace. Uh, if you're going to be in like the halfway Graham Chawadi, you're mainly looking at the bull trout, uh, for the majority of the fish that you're going to catch. Uh, there is still some rainbows. Uh, there can be some good grayling, and typically there's there's quite a bit of whitefish too. They they seem to be a pretty pretty strong fish for whatever reason. I think the rainbows though 
uh, I think there was a study that I was reading that like if the the temperature of the water comes up by like even like two degrees, it can kind of kill off some of the rainbow because they're they're pretty sensitive up here. But uh, yeah, this summer though it hasn't been overly too hot. We did just have a heat wave, but uh, you know it was what four days of hot weather and uh yeah so i think the fishing in the rivers this year will be pretty good uh you know if you're gonna be heading out to uh you know i've i've grown up in this area my entire life and uh pretty well if i only had a handful of hooks to go to the river uh it would be like a crocodile spoon size number two with rainbow trout pattern on it uh a blue and silver spoon again size two maybe size three if you're going after the lake trout and big bull trout uh and other than that i'd have a couple panther martin spinners a couple of uh mep spinners and with those depending on what you're going after i'd want like the size one and with the meps um sometimes it's the black one sometimes it's the red one sometimes it's just the silver one you know it's good to have a little assortment of uh maps for panther martins uh the ye little yellow ones seem to work pretty good or the silver ones uh same thing with the panther martin or the maps you can get them with a little bit of hair on the end of the treble hook uh the only thing is you have to check regulations is i'm pretty sure in the streams it has to be a single barbless hook uh so with those ones you'll probably have to yank those hooks off or uh what you can do is you can take your pliers and you can cut the other two hooks off of the treble and then just smash down the uh uh the barb on the single hook that's left uh for the most part uh I mean, it, it is a single barbless hook in that sense. So uh, you shouldn't have any issues with the game warden uh, with that. Uh, you know, I've been checked several times now, and that's what I've always done in the past. If the hook comes with the treble, uh, you can slide the body of your spinner up, and then a little arm bracket kind of pops out, and then you can take your hook off that way. It's a bit of a pain, and it's extremely tight quarters in there, especially like those little zeros and size ones. Uh, even the size two spinners are still pretty small to do it. Uh, so for us, you know, or for me anyways, I've always just said the heck with it and just took my pliers and just cut the two hooks off. And, uh, yeah, I've never had any issues with it at all. Uh also up here in the streams you can't use any bait so uh yeah if you're wanting to use like worms or shrimp or corn uh you can't uh yeah you, you can do it in lakes but not in the streams up here uh and other than that for hooks uh if you're a fly fisherman uh i would mainly stick to dry flies i've had some luck with like little nymphs and stuff like that but for the most part the dry flies that i would use is like the uh elk hair or deer hair caddis uh, uh what are the other ones there uh 
Tronomids, they're not a dry fly. Um, mosquitoes, uh, Adams, Royal Wolf, or Royal Coachman, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, Royal Wolf and Royal Coachman, the only difference is the Coachman has like the two little white wings coming up, and that's that's about it. And uh, yeah, you go you go out onto the rivers with some of them, and man, I'm telling you, you can fish all day long with just that handful of uh, hook, and you'll catch a pile of fish. Uh, one thing that's really fun to do is to fly fish for the bull trout just before they spawn. Uh, and again, that's another August thing. Uh, again, though, you have to watch your regulations for that. There's a lot of places where they close the river at certain spots for the bull trout spawning. Uh, and unfortunately, it usually goes by bridges. So, uh, you got to be mindful of that. And, uh, you know, worst case scenario, just call up the conservation officers and just kind of ask them, like, hey, I want to fish this river at this time. Where is it open or if there's any closures or anything like that? Uh, especially now with this day and age of the Internet, uh, there can be times where they close something or adjust certain rules halfway through the season. And it's up to you to go online and check the website, which I don't like at all. Uh, I think what's written in the book should be cemented in the book. It's for two years. Just let it be what's be kind of a thing. But unfortunately, uh, that's not how it goes some years. So, uh, yeah, just once in a while, go onto the website and uh, check out. Make sure there's no uh, new regulations or anything like that. Uh, also speaking about regulations, if you're new to hunting and fishing, uh, especially fishing here, now that we're talking about it, you really have to know your regulations. Uh, you know, there's like the general, uh, limits that you're allowed to catch. If you're going fishing in a spot that's not listed below like the general regulations then you go off of the general regulations so say you're allowed to catch uh, whatever five rainbows if you're going fishing in say the peace you look down the peace river it might say that you're only allowed two rainbows or some rivers might say that this fish has to be over 25 centimeters, smaller than 30 or something, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm i just making up numbers, right? But you you really have to be careful and be mindful of where, you did, where it is that you're fishing, what the rules are, because uh, there's so many times where you misread something once and then you just have it locked in your head. Yeah, this is what we're allowed when really... Maybe you got things backwards. Maybe you read that the fish has to be, you know, between these two sizes to keep. When really what it says is it has to be uh, either smaller or bigger than this size. So, like, in your mind, you're being legal by keeping one that's bigger than 25, smaller than 30. When really the regulation says you can only keep them if they're below 25 
or higher than 30 kind of a thing. So, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta pay attention, read things twice, read things three times, <laughs> highlight it, whatever it is that you gotta do, because, uh, nobody wants a ticket and to have your stuff taken away and whatever comes from that stuff. So when you're going fishing in the rivers, uh, you know, a lot of people when they go fishing, they just grab the hook, throw it in the water, reel it in, and that's just that's just how they fish. Uh, but if you want to get more in depth, uh, you have to think of how some of these fish act. Uh, you know, when it comes to like the bull trout and the rainbows, uh, they're like a predator fish. Then when it comes to like the grayling and the white fish, they are a bit of a predator fish, but not as aggressive as like the bull trout and the rainbow uh you know the bull trout a lot of times what they do is they hide under structures so like any any falling down trees or big boulders and rocks and stuff uh you know a lot of times they sit there in kind of like the calm water you'll see especially it's really easy to see on big boulders because the river kind of comes hits that rock and it almost makes like a teardrop kind of a thing there. And on the backside of that teardrop or the backside of the rock, it's a little calm spot. So they're able to sit there and barely move and they keep a lot of their energy. It doesn't take much for them just to kind of sit there and hang out. And they just wait till something kind of comes on one side of the rock. And then they're able to jolt out and grab that as like a predator fish. So a lot of times... If I'm using like that crocodile number two, I'll cast it upstream away from me. And then hopefully the river's clean enough where you can actually see your hook. And I'll try to time it right where as I'm reeling it in, as that hook is going past me, it's going on the the my side of the rock. If it's on the other side, there's a good chance your fishing line can get hooked up and all that junk and you end up losing your good hook. But I try to time it right where as that hook is just coming past that rock, it's just starting to swing out and face kind of downriver and then into the current. So in that way, if a bull trout is sitting there or a big rainbow, as that hook is coming down through the fast water, it hits the end of my line and turns and it starts to flutter right before that rock or just after. And then what that kind of looks like is a small little bait fish is coming in who's been fighting the current and he's tired as hell and he's ready to get into that calm water and once as he turns and it flutters it looks like that little bait fish is going to come over and that's when that dolly or the big rainbow is going to come out of that calm water and they always attack kind of from the tail end and uh you know it's a great way to catch some rainbows and bull trout uh i do the same thing uh when i see logs too uh the problem with logs though is you don't exactly know where they're sitting in the water a lot of times they could be just kind of toppled over and kind of half floating uh so it's the risk of you losing your hook because you're getting snagged up on the trees or there's branches and stuff uh you know the risk is a little bit higher but man is there ever some amazing fishing at like the base of a big uh log jam or uh you know just a big falling down spruce tree or something like that 
And uh, it's not just the bull trout and rainbows that sit there. You know, the grayling and the whitefish, they hang out in those calm waters too. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, with the spinner, I'll do the same thing. Toss the, toss the spinner upstream as it comes down. You watch it kind of swing into that calm water and then you bring it back up through it. And uh, yeah, it, it works phenomenal. Uh, with the dry flies... I kind of do the same thing, uh, except with dry flies, what I'll do is I won't stand kind of beside the rock. I'll go downstream of the rock or the structure, the trees, whatever it is that you're you're targeting. And again, I'll cast way upstream. And then what I'll do is as it's coming in, you just slowly pull in your line. So and it's not, uh, you don't have any slack line in the water and then that whiff of fish does grab it you're right there you don't have to sit there and pull in a bunch of loose line and then what ends up happening is it kind of just floats around it hits that calm water sometimes it does a little bit of a swirl kind of a thing and then your your fly line will get into that uh faster water and it'll pull it out again and then uh, sometimes too if you can't quite cast far enough with the fly rod what you can do is you cast as far as you can and then you have a bunch of loose uh, fly line at your feet and as that current grabs your fly line just sit there and feed it out so if you can only cast like 15 yards there's no reason why you still can't get 20 yards out because you you get your 10 yards of line out and then as that current grabs your line you just sit there and you just kind of hand feed it just kind of push it out and that river current will take your fly line and it'll just keep pulling it downstream. And uh, it works pretty well. Uh, it's a little like cheating, but uh, that's alright. At the end of the day, you should be able to catch fish. <laughs> also, you know, don't be afraid to uh, put a fly on your regular spin cast rod and just have a bobber. Uh, you know, when it comes to bobbers... What I like to do when I'm on the river, uh, especially when you're using dry flies, is I just grab it wherever my fly is. I go one arm length like this, you know, what, whatever that is, five feet. And that's where I put my bobber. And when I cast it out there, once the bobber hits the water, I tighten up my line and I give it just a little pull. Because every once in a while, what ends up happening is when you cast out, your bobber is actually what's taking the line out. So and it almost creates like a, a real sharp V. You have your main line going out to the bobber. And then from the bobber coming back towards you is where your fly line or your fly is going to be. Uh, so if you don't kind of give that little bit of a jerk and pull your bobber back. Your fly itself could be on top of your fishing line. Or it could be just kind of bundled up in a big pile of crap beside your bobber kind of a thing. And... Uh, not only does it not look good for the fish, if you do happen to get a fish to bite, there's so much slack and stuff like that, there's a really good chance that you're going to miss setting the hook. And if you don't set the hook, seeing how it has to be single barbless, uh, you're most likely going to lose the fish. But, uh, yeah, the just little tips and tricks like that kind of go a long way, so that's why I like telling you guys about that. Uh... With chronomids, I mentioned those earlier. 
basically what a chronomid is, is kind of like the larvae of a new hatch coming up. So typically, like when I was tying chronomids, I'd use like a size 14 or a size 12 hook. Uh, the only downside to that is you can really only get like six pound test to go through the eye of those tiny little hooks. So, I mean, I started experimenting a little bit and I could tie size 10 and I tried size 8 a couple of times, but that seemed just way too big. But even the size 10, you can still get about 8 to 10 pound test through the, uh, through the eye of those hooks. And then with those, typically what it is is you have just a very simple body on it. Some it's peacock feathers, some it's wire. For me, I used uh, either silver or gold tinsel, and I wrapped that around. And then at the very tip top, right at the eye of the hook, there was just like one little copper bead there. And basically it just goes in, sits in the water right so close to the bottom like it'll be like an inch off the bottom and i think the only reason why it doesn't really run on the ground is because your fly line uh has enough momentum where it's keeping it just above the bottom and uh that's where if you're using a bobber i don't know if i'd use like the five foot rule whatever just like the big arm length uh of line you would you'd want to know roughly how deep the river is. So even then, instead of being, you know, a full arm length, you know, put like half an arm length, so like whatever, two and a half feet kind of a thing. Uh, it should work. Uh, for me, I haven't really used chronomids all that much with just a regular spin cast rod and reel. I've always used them with my fly rod. Uh, but as long as your bobber is whatever two feet away from your hook it shouldn't really make a difference uh when it comes to chronomids uh and you know they work phenomenally well with chronomids you know there's so many different types out there uh basically you know i've always had good luck with the the gold ones it's just like gold tinsel with a gold bead or not gold bead but it's copper brass whatever it is they've always seemed to work extremely well for uh grayling and whitefish uh you know the gray atoms too they work phenomenal for, for grayling uh one thing if you are going to be going after uh grayling and whitefish is you have to remember that their mouths are extremely small for the body size uh rainbows you know they have the the predator mouth you know so their their mouth is kind of like the whole v of their nose is their mouth where when it comes to like the whitefish and the grayling it's like the tip of their mouth and it's just like a small little hole so it they don't have like great big jaws they kind of have lips and that's about it so when they come up and they grab a fly off the tip of the water they're not opening their mouth and chomping on it. They're kind of opening up their mouth and sucking it in kind of a thing. So that's why, you know, when you're when you're picking the size of your fly, uh, I would really stick to around like size 10 as being the biggest hook. Size 8 
if you're going after rainbow will work but if you're going after the grayling and whitefish size 10 is about the max you'd want to do but that's also why i started uh tying size 12s and size 14s they are so incredibly small and they are extremely hard to tie but if you're not tying them yourself you know a size 14 still costs a dollar 25 or whatever the price is now uh as it would you know it's the same price as one of the bigger ones and uh the only issue with that though is that the the eyes of those hooks like i said are extremely small so if you uh if you don't have like six pound test if you have well even if you have 10 pound test on your rod you can always just grab six pound line and just do like a eight foot leader on there you just tie the two lines together uh but if you have bad eyesight uh it'll be pretty hard for you to see uh just to get your line in through there so uh yeah it's it's kind of hit and miss that's why i kind of tell people you know stick to like size 10 it's kind of a good little ground uh and again like the size 10 you can use a lot of different size tests for that you can catch the big the big rainbows but you can also catch the uh grayling and whitefish with that size too so you know i'm talking a bunch about uh fly fishing and flies uh if you're curious to know like what it takes to get into tying your own flies uh what i would recommend and suggest is just to buy a basic fly tying kit uh they range anywhere from like i want to say the lower end probably 80 to 100 dollars 150 bucks kind of thing but it comes with the vice for your to hold your hook typically comes with the you know whatever maybe 20 hooks kind of size eight kind of a size uh comes with your bobbin some thread uh i think it yeah it'll come with the the knot maker or knot tire it's a weird hook looking thing it, it once as you see it you'll understand why i call it a weird hook looking thing because it's <laughs> it's funky uh it'll come with a little bit of head cement or just glue super glue uh and then also it'll come with uh you know basic stuff so you can make something like a royal coachman it'll come with a little bit of deer hair some peacock feathers uh usually with the thread they'll set they'll set you up with a couple of different colors mainly it'll be like two things of black cause that's typically what you use maybe one red and one brown kind of thing uh and then some of them come with some of that tinsel some come with a couple of beads and some come with like uh like the lead heads uh they're like kind of lead eyes for woolly buggers uh but yeah a lot of times too they come with like a little small little pamphlet almost like a quad fold or a little booklet and they'll tell you how to make whatever four or five basic hooks kind of thing and then uh if you can't figure it out with that book you know go on to youtube and just search how to tie a fly how to tie a mosquito how to tie a royal coachman adams a woolly bugger woolly buggers are another phenomenal fly uh and then also, if you start tying your own woolly buggers, uh, it's marabou, 
tail or no rabbit fur tail with marabou body and then a black feather that's wrapped around too uh and then what i would do is i would take like a bead or one of those lead eyes and i put it right at the very top then that way when you strip it in instead of it just kind of floating through the water you get a lot of action uh and it looks so much better and it with them too depending on how long you make the tail and what colors that you use you know it, it looks just like a black leech uh going through the water and uh you know even in the rivers i don't think i've ever heard of somebody getting a leech in a river but even in the rivers they work phenomenally well uh but uh yeah that's just my kind of two cents on on that but anyways uh yeah i hope you guys are uh getting kind of fired up here for this fall i know i am uh chicken season it's right around the corner that opens up in september uh rabbit season is here that opened up august 1st for us up here uh unfortunately i go back to work for a week and then on my next days off i'm busy with my brother's wedding and all that stuff so i'm not gonna be able to hunt uh any rabbits right away but uh very very soon coming up here i'll be hunting like crazy uh like i said i got three weeks off in uh september here coming up and uh so yeah that that's gonna be a blast uh i'm gonna be taking the holiday trailer out again spend three weeks out uh some back road somewhere and uh basically gonna be hunting chickens every day and hunting rabbits every day uh, and I'll be doing a bunch of cooking as usual. Uh, I think this year I'm going to try something a little different. And uh, with the rabbits that I shoot, I'll freeze some of them whole. Uh, not too many, probably one or two. And then uh, a lot of the other ones, uh, beside like camp, you know, campfire cooking and all that, uh, I'm going to try to grind some of them up with a little bit of pork fat and make some sort of a sausage with it or uh well i got blackberry pepperoni so i don't need to make any more pepperoni but uh yeah maybe like a garlic sausage or bratwurst or i don't know heck maybe even jalapeno cheddar <laughs> rabbit and pork sausage i don't know it might taste good it might not I, i'm not too sure but uh that's all part of the fun of being an outdoorsman and a hunter and all that good stuff you know you have the equipment and you somewhat have the knowledge you know it's it's such a blast to be able to go out and uh harvest these animals and provide for your family and friends and just provide for yourself and uh yeah you're able to mess around a little bit and uh give her a try but anyways guys uh i hope you enjoyed this podcast if you did please give us a, a rating and a review where you're listening to it uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, please like the video, leave us a comment or two. Uh, definitely subscribe to our channel. Every day we're growing a little bit more and more. Uh, just recently, I've been able to put up super thanks. So if you want to say thank you, uh, it's a one-time little deal that you can do. I think it's like a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, or something like that that you can kind of donate directly to us, and that helps us just a lot <laughs> uh every little bit helps uh there's also the membership 
that uh, just came out now. I think that's five bucks a month. And again, that uh, the membership it helps us out grow. You know, I got cameras and microphones, computers, laptops, uh, gas, bullets, guns. You know, there's a lot more to this than just kind of throwing on a camera and throwing things together, kind of a thing. So any little bit helps. Uh, also, the merchandise is now up on our YouTube channel as well. So if you don't want to go to our online store through our Facebook page, you can get to the online store now through uh, through the YouTube channels. But anyways, guys, uh, you know I want to thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening, and uh, you know even with me blabbering on about how to support the channel, if you don't want to pay for anything, just don't pay for anything. Just enjoy the content, watch the videos. Listen to the podcast, tell your friends about it, subscribe to the channel, and uh, yeah, that alone is is plenty from you guys. So again, if you do want to help support the channel, I do really appreciate it, but I'm not, not going to really ask you to do it. That's, uh, that's 100% up to you. But anyways, guys, I got to wrap this up. I got to get out of here, and I got to go to work. So uh, yeah, that's all. See you on the next one.